you say it loud enough, you're always semi cautious, yeah, super califragilisticexpialidocious, and etc. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I used to be going round, did a little, little um, did yeah, a little, um, yeah. I've heard that for years. And that was, yeah, that's me, you know. Childhood was happy because it was Mary Poppins. <laughs> Right, hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the podcast chat. And we've got a very, very special guest today, Judy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So I think, did you, did we message or speak last week or the week before? Um, I think a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A couple of weeks ago, because you were, you were busy and so we scheduled it in for today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was Sarah who... Sarah big, Oldham, yeah. Yeah, big shout out to Sarah. Yeah, big shout out. Thank yeah. you, Sarah. I know. And then here we are in your lovely home. Uh-huh. Thanks for letting me set up <laughs> in, your, in your living room. You're welcome. <laughs> it's very nice, actually. Yeah. It really is, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Mm. I'm just going to grab my water two seconds, yeah. but if if you introduce yourself to somebody for the first time, like the viewers and the listeners, how would you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Judy. <laughs> yes? Yeah. And then what, what else would you say? I know it's a difficult question, isn't right. it? Because when you meet someone, you don't say, hi, my name is Judy. This is what I do. Blah, 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 blah. But for the sake of the podcast, give them a spiel. Give them, give them an intro. Uh, right. Hi, my name is Judy. A lot of you will know me as my doors of destiny for the past three years or more. What would be more than that now. Yeah. 2020, when I did my first book, my doors of destiny saw a few of you. Well, normally, well, I'm hoping more than a few, actually, because my followers on my website, you've been really, really kind to me, and thank you for following me. Nice. Cool, cool, cool. So, I've prepped you. You came prepared. Three facts. Let's yeah. go into them. Let's go into them. How did you find doing them, then? A lot of people struggle with the three facts. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no. Easy. No. Easy. Hard to narrow it down to three. Yeah. Hard to narrow it down <laughs> to three, yeah. Uh, anybody who knows me, uh, anybody gives me anything to do. I do it, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm really one of those that they say, you wanted me to do this, so I'll do this, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. I've always been somebody, somebody sent me away with a project to do. I will really, you know, challenge myself to do it. You know what I mean? Mm. Some of three facts about myself. The first one is really, really strange, but, and I know that I'm probably the only one in the world, really, it was, is really said this, but from being a young child, my mum said that, uh, she said you were born with a smile on your face. Now, who can say that a child has ever been born with a smile on the face? They usually come out screaming, or really quiet, but no, she said you had a big smile on your face. So I don't know whether that's anything to do with my life. I just, I just really don't know, but I won't let, I won't let everybody think that, yeah, she's had a really, a great life. She smiled all her life because I haven't, believe mm. you, me. <laughs> but one of the first facts, like I said, that I'm talking about is when I was four years old, three or four years old, my mum said to me that I said the words supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Mm. Now, for anybody who doesn't know that, that's from the Julie Andrews films, okay? And it's from Mary Poppins. I was going to say, yeah, that's who I know it from. Mm. Yeah, I remember that word. Yeah. It's from Mary Poppins. And she said to me, honestly, without a word of a lie, she said, you said that when you were three or four year old. And that is really strange. Mm. It's really strange. But I'm a big, 
Mary Poppins fan. I used to love Mary Poppins back yeah. in the day, you know, yeah. yeah. Super you know, and Dick Van Dyke, he's he's still going now. Mm. He's still going now and he's 100, I think. Is he? Yeah. Dude, yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. yeah cool. Same as Clint Eastwood. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Now we're digressing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're on a lot of tangents today, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fact number two, if you like, every little girl's dream is to dream. And I am that dreamer who did dare to dream. And when I said dare to dream, I used to dream about being a singer and to the fact that I sang everywhere and anywhere. I was always humming. I was always la, la, la. I was always skipping. So there's something, isn't there? There's something in that about being a child. Because I think when you're a child, you are allowed to dream. You are allowed to come out with anything that you want to be. Because you'll say that you want to be a few things. And none of them will come off. But I wanted to be a singer from an early age. And I think it was Shirley Temple. Because I watched Shirley Temple and she was a little girl singer. And she was amazing. Uh, so yes, and back three, this has stayed with me all my life. To say I was a happy child is true. But to have to grow up with perseverance and determination, they're the two words that saved my life which I will tell you about. So my facts, really, about myself are quite varied. That's interesting. It's like you're saying about dare to dream and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And when you're younger, you can aspire to be whatever you want to yeah. be, can't you? Yeah, um, it's not difficult, is it? No, and people, like you say, people let you do that because you're yeah. like, oh, that'll never happen or whatever. Exactly. And like say, when I was younger, like most boys, I think, wanted to be a footballer, yeah. you know what I mean? And they're like, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. But obviously you think they become a footballer no, and stuff no. like that. But then when you get older, it's all like the negativity, isn't it, around exactly. it? Like, oh, I wish I could do this. Oh, I want to do that. Yeah. And they're like, really? Is it worth the risk? Oh, do you think you can do that? And it's like, I don't know, maybe the way that the system, the way the world is, isn't it? It's just like, you go to school or you go to uni <laughs> and you, you get a job and then you get a girlfriend and then you get a house and then you retire and then exactly. you die, isn't it? Well, it, the, the, the true meaning of life is you start off as a child and you could probably end up being a child again, mm-hmm. you know, because you, when you, when you, when you grow up and uh, God forbid if anything happens, everybody's frightened of the word dementia now and et cetera. And I look at people, I'm going to become a child again. Mm. Uh, but in a different form, because you're all grown up, you your mind becomes a child. And to have that child's mind back when you're fully grown up towards the end of your life, it's it's strange. It's really yeah. weird. So when we say about how we started off and what we wanted to be, that I'm, well, I always stuck with being a singer. But then when I grew up and at 16, now I had the hair from hell growing up, the perm. Yeah. The big eyebrows and they met in the middle. Oh no. Oh my god. I get my, I get the cut through at the barber yeah. every, every week in, yeah. in the middle and at the top. Cause... And, and I couldn't believe it. So all through school, right? This is no word of a lie. I wore, not, not, when I left school, sorry, I wore thick makeup. The first thing I wanted to do was to hide my face. Why? And I wanted to hide my, my forehead because I had spots. Mm. And that was because I wore the wrong makeup. And everybody tried to tell me. So at 16 year old, I started having singing lessons because I won my first singing competition, sorry. 
when I was 14. Mm-hmm. And I knew then when I won my first singing competition that I, if I wanted to be a singer, they said to me, you need to get some singing lessons. So I started having singing lessons when I was 14 and I did not like the way I looked. Nobody could see my eyes, which now people say are my best feature. Mm-hmm. And so I hid my eyes mm-hmm. and my, my fringe covered my whole forehead. Okay. So when I was 16 and all the mullet to this place and it was called Timbuktu. And it was where I had a makeover, if you like, at 16. My singing teacher, she paid for it for me because it was my birthday. It was my 16th birthday. And they went, they plucked my eyebrows. And it was the first time I'd ever had them plucked. And it was not like today with the tweezers. And my head nearly banged off the ceiling because it was so fast. And it was so red. You know, you'd think I'd been under electrolysis, you know. Mm -hmm. But it was with the tweezers and they plucked them to oblivion. And she said it will take a few days for them to go down. Boy, did it take a few days. So that was me hid away again. Um, <laughs> one extreme to the other. Yeah, one extreme yeah. to the other. I, I want to know, like, say, you when you sing in competition, yeah, or like you enjoyed singing. Mm-hmm. But like, when did you realise you could sing or or whatever? Because say, if I ever sang along in the mm-hmm. car or whatever to songs, my mum and dad never said, oh, you're a really good mm-hmm. singer, you need to be doing this. And I've just, I don't know, never thought I could ever do that. So, like, can you yeah, remember what it, kind of yeah, age you were? Was it's it, like, really your parents weird. or friends, uh, family? Five. Five, all right. It was more or less after I said this supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. You were know? you singing that song, or was it just saying the word? Mary Poppins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? Yeah. If you say it loud enough, you're always semprecocious. Yeah, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And etc. Yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I used to be going round, did a little little under yeah, that's it, that's and did a, yeah. I've heard that for years. And that was yeah, that's me, you know. Childhood was happy because it was Mary Poppins. Yeah. And everybody wanted to be Mary Poppins. I mean, I don't know, yeah, you say you're familiar with Mary Poppins, she had a marvellous carpet bag mm. and everything she stored in this carpet everything, bag. Yeah. And and she had all, the umbrella as well, didn't yeah, she? She had the umbrella and the the light shade, didn't she? Mm. And everybody wanted to be Mary Poppins. Yeah. And if I can say, yeah, that was me thinking, yeah, I want to be Mary Poppins. So yeah, from being five years old, that was me wanting to sing. Mm. From starting school, I only went to school to learn to sing. Yeah. That's all I ever wanted to do. Drama lessons was my thing because I wanted to know everything about drama. English in school, they set you a story. They said, this was like to test how your mind worked. Yeah. And it was, one day, I was walking down the road, I turned round the corner, and and I made up a whole book, virtually, of what happened to me when I turned round that corner. And it was just a case of, like, as a child's point of view. Not now. It was from a child's point of view, because I was at school. I was at junior school. And I just made up this story. And I was in that story. I was writing about myself, what happened to me when I turned around that corner. And they, they were absolutely amazed at school. They said, if you could live your life through your English, because I wasn't very good at anything else, you know, I would do well. But you have to learn the art of maths. And has never been no, a good thing for me. I was good at maths, she, but wasn't really good at much else. Right, Brr. right. But no, maths to me. And my dad tried to learn me, actually, because going from that path of where I like to older people. You know when you have your school holidays? Mm. We were sent to help our neighbours with the shopping. 
And I loved doing that because I went round to the neighbours. They were all elderly. And I just sat there eating cake because they all had cake in the cake tins. And we just basically sat there having cake, listening to stories. And I used to do the shopping for them and my dad had to write it all down for me. And he gave me the money. And then when I went to the shop, the shopkeeper would go, right, Judy, that's uh, four ninety nine, And so if I gave them £10, he would go five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Mm. And that's how I learned to count, really. And that yeah. was the only way I could take it in. Interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is it? I just think I've always been like that, you know, person to person. Yeah. At school, I got bored with maths because it would be all about percentages and boring things. And to me, they were just boring, mm-hmm. you know. But counting money out, because I was brought up to, if you've got money in your purse, you have to look after it. Money was important. Cash was king. And you went to earn a living in the school holidays. And that's where I started. When I was old enough to to work, I think I started work at 15. Yeah, maybe 14, 15, and just helping out on the markets. Because if you wanted to go uptown with your friends, my dad, I said to my dad, I said, can I go to town? And he said, what do you want to go to town for? Oh, just to look round. He said, have you got any money? I'd say, no. Well, then you won't be going to town, will you? <laughs> because there's not anything you can get. Yeah. So I was determined to get myself a Saturday job, as it was then. Yeah. And I did. I got a Saturday job. And honestly, the terriblest amount of money you can ever imagine. And I worked on a cold, freezing, Alden Market. Mm. People will remember Alden Market because it was the best well-known market you could ever imagine. Everybody mm. knew Alden Market. And I started at 7 o'clock in the morning and I went home at 7 at night. Long days and long. And they made me, they made me make the tea, unload the van. And I wasn't a very big girl growing up. <laughs> I was only little. I could hardly lift, you know, the boxes. Mm-hmm. And the tea urn, the big tea urn, by the time I brought it back to the stall, there was no, was no tea in it because <laughs> I spilled it all. <laughs> but it was, it taught me a lesson, you know. And then, do you know that you won't get away with it today? I think I earned something like three pounds and she said, you've not done a good job today. So she said, we're only going to give you two. Well, no way. And I went home and told my mum I used to cry and I was freezing. And she used to say, I'm going up to see that lady. And my mum was only four foot, um, I think she was about four foot ten, my mum. She was Mm, only little. Tiny, yeah. But she, you know, she had, she was a little bundle of joy, my mum. But she had a temper, even you know. Yes. So my mum was only little and she went up to see this lady and she says, my daughter won't be working for you again, you know. She said, you're absolutely, she said, it's slave labour. And she said, she will not be coming for you again. So I only did it twice. Mm-hmm. And my mum said, there's no way you're treating my daughter like that. Yeah, that's nice of her, though, isn't it? So that was a bit about me growing up. <laughs> I, le- I learned the hard way, if you like. Yeah. I think it's important, though, isn't it? Like learning yeah. those lessons and stuff and yeah. how people hard treat lessons. you. You've got to look mm-hmm. out for yourself as number one. Yeah. So then when you're going through school, like you're saying, mm-hmm. when you got to 16 and you got your eyebrows plucked and, and stuff over. and yeah mm. how, how does that make you feel because obviously like it's hard for girls especially these days yeah. well, isn't it with pressure social media so why, why was your appearance such like a, an important thing to you do you reckon or, or why did it affect you that much it affected me because like i said growing up i don't know if some people will relate to it you had your hair cut in the same style bob cut straight fringe mm. hair down the sides curled underneath 
And that was the bobcot. Yeah. That was what we were associated with. And everybody used to say you put the ball on your head and cut round it. You yeah. know? And it was, honestly, it was a wonder that, you know, we ever thought anything about our looks. And I could not change anything about myself until I was 16. Mm. And I had my singing teacher to look after me because she said, if you're going on to sing, she says, we need to do something about your look. So to be this singer that I wanted to be, you had to have a certain look. So getting my eyebrows done, it made a big difference to me because I was the original Dennis Healy. People will remember Dennis Healy. You may not, but he was the one with the big bushy eyebrows. And that was me. And I got bullied at school. Here she is. He is Dennis Healy, you know. Mm. And it, and it does it. it. It, bullying has gone on for a long, long time and it's still here today. But the amount that the facts about bullying are different. We were just pushed about at school and called and ridiculed. Whereas today they take it to a bit further extremes. Mm. Uh, but going back to your question about why it was so important was because if I was wanting to be a singer, you had to have certain luck back then. When, we, when I went around with my singing teacher, I used to do operatic songs then. Okay. I was, I had my voice trained for eight years and I could sing opera. So I was doing the Messiah. People will remember the Messiah. And I had my first program when I was 16 years old and I was the lead soloist in the Messiah. Oh, cool. So I had a, a long brown skirt on, a frilly white shirt and like I say, I had I had my hair cut, I had my eyebrows done, and I learned how to put less is more from being 16 because I was a big foundation girl, thick foundation, which everybody knows is totally wrong. And I got the name when I went to work because I started work actually at 15-year-old. I left school and I started to work at Littlewood's organisation. Mm. That's how old I was, 15. It's crazy. And I was called Aunt Sally. And people remember Aunt Sally from Wurzel Gummidge days. She had big circles of blusher on. So I got all that taken off and I learned how less is more. They showed me how to apply my makeup, my eyebrows, to make the most of my eyes, which I'd ne- nobody had ever seen up to me being 16. And then all of a sudden I developed these bright blue eyes. People could see them. I had very light makeup on. And yeah, from being 16 year old is when I started to be noticed, mm. when I started to grow. Oh, interesting. Mm. So then what, what, what was like the next steps after that then at 16? What were you wanting to do? Because obviously at 16, it's a, like a, a pinnacle age, should we say? Yeah. All the schools are saying, no, oh, what do you want to be for the rest of your life? And it's, it's a big decision because at 16, you're only, a, you're only a baby, aren't you? Really? Yeah, even yeah. like 18, even like 21, if you I finish know. uni and stuff like mm. You didn't know what you wanted to be. When I was, like know I, said, well, I was working. Mm. I was working at 16. Mm. So I finished school yeah. early because I wanted to sing. Mm. I did eventually go back to an after school event because I've mentioned this in one of, one of my books, which I'll go back to. But yes, not only was I 16, but I was working. Mm. I left school and I remember it well, right? Because it was May Day. And usually you start work on a Monday, but it was May Bank Holiday. And it was 1979. And I remember it well because it was May the 4th and Margaret Thatcher came to power. And I don't know whether that had something to do with it because I always used to say, 
May the fourth be with you. Yeah. Is that like Star Wars or Star yeah. Trek or something? Yeah. May the fourth be with yeah. you. And that's when I started work on the Tuesday, May the 5th. And that was my starting my working career. So I did. I started work from 15. When I was 16, I had my first pay increase. And up to being 18, I was on kind of like emergency tax code, et cetera, et cetera. And I got the little brown envelope with money in it. Mm. And that's the first time I'd ever earned a wage. It was for the Littlewoods Organisation Limited. And I continued on there. Now, this is a big thing. If I look back now, nine years of my young life was spent at Littlewoods in Oldham. Do I regret it? No, because I've met and kept the best friends of my life who I still know now. Littlewoods was when I grew up. Starting work at 16, it kind of like set it mapped my life out. So that would be 16 to 21 was five years. So that would be nine years at Littlewood. So that would be 21. So that's five. Yeah. 20, 24 year old. I left Littlewood, this itchy feet business. And I started singing then on weekends and my singing career had picked up. I'd left Littlewood thinking I would get a job tomorrow. Well, it didn't work out like that, but the singing kept me going. I didn't have much money in the flat. This flat I was in, the heating, you, you know, was paid for. As long as you paid your rent, you could have heating and it had all the appliances. So I was fine because although I didn't eat much, you didn't eat much when you were younger. But when I left Littlewoods, I thought I could get a job tomorrow because there were plenty of jobs. But for me to find my career, my right career path, I had to leave Oldham. And I left Oldham at 26 which some people would think, God, you know, they would be married with children. It never, it never came to me. Between 21 and 24, I was the most ridiculous girl you could ever meet. Will you marry me? You know, everybody I met, please say you'll marry me. Please say you'll see me again. What's like? <laughs> Stay away Too from keen, this yeah. you know. Yeah. Very clingy, very needy. I just wanted somebody to love me, basically. Yeah. That's, why do you think that was then? Because everything had turned sour. Mm-hmm. Every bloke I'd ever met, they were the wrong one. Mm-hmm. There was a few nice ones, but I would determined after all the wrong things I'd done was to get my singing career. The best thing that happened to me wasn't all doom and gloom between this 21 and 24, which was only three years. I joined an amateur, amateur, an amateur operatic society. That is a tongue twister. Yes. <laughs> Amateur Operatic Society, all the amateurs. Yeah. Yeah. That picked me up. That kept me going because I was jobbing it from here to anywhere. I was doing any job I could get from coming from Littlewoods. I took a real chance. I was doing cleaning jobs. I was in my flat. I was doing everything to pay my rent. Mm. Uh, but this amateur operatics was a real lift for me because it kept me on this path. And straight and narrow. That yeah. I wanted to connect with. Do you know what I mean? I kept the singing going. So I got my first lead part in the musical Carousel. Now, I don't know if you remember this, Adam, but Carousel was a great musical. I got the, there was two leading roles. Julie Jordan was the serious one. And for me, being sad and everything, I still had this comedy part in me. So the game of the comedy role, she was called Carrie Pipperidge. 
And she had a comedy side in her that I wanted to find in me. And this part brought my comedy side out. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I got back friends with my mum and dad. My mum learned my lines with me in the kitchen. That's nice. And, and uh, we sat together and did the and I, I did the role of Carrie Pipperidge. You had to have a week in the in the theatre. It was at a proper theatre, and the song which will be familiar to people from the musical Carousel was "When You Walk Through a Storm." Now everybody relates that. Is it to Liverpool? Yeah. When you walk through a storm. Hold sure. your head sure. up high. Is it Liverpool's thing too? There's is you'll never walk alone. You'll never it? walk yeah. alone. Yeah. I hate Liverpool. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. I oh, know. I oh, know. Oh, yeah. But no, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, you'll yeah. never walk alone. Yeah, right? Now, this was the big tune from yeah. Carousel. Yeah. Ah. It was a big okay. classic tune yeah. from Carousel. And I sang a big comedy role in, but it was, the part in the musical, everybody knew, everybody waited for. Mm-hmm. Like now it's Les Mis. You've heard of Les Mis, yeah, yeah, yeah. The song to come from that is the one that Alfie Ball sings, Bring Him Home. Mm. Now, this Bring Him Home is the cliffhanger to Les Mis. So, You'll Never Walk Alone was the cliffhanger to Carousel. Ah, uh, okay, right? makes sense. And this musical... Kept, kept me alive. It was the be all and end all to me. And it was what made me pursue my career. It taught me the basics, taught me how to act, taught me how to sing better. I was still having my singing lessons because I had them for eight years. I had my voice trained professionally. I paid for it. When I left the bosom of my <laughs> mum and dad, if you like, I had to pay for it myself. I had singing lessons for eight years and then I was fully trained when I left Oldham. At 26, I got my first job as a blue coat at 27 year old. Mm-hmm, nice. So then when you left Oldham, then what, what was kind of next for you? Because I imagine that would be a big change. Yeah. Change of pace and kind of skinny big girl shoes on, wasn't big it? Big girl shoes on, yeah. I went to a fortune teller before I left Oldham, which is very significant because it was a very famous name. It was Petrolingo. And how I found it in Oldham, I'll never know, but she gave me my first crystal, and I've kept this crystal to this day. She told me all about my past, and my past, Adam, was something that I would never want anybody to experience. She told me all about that. So at 27-year-old, I went down south. Mm-hmm. I went to a place called, where, did, where was it? I went down south. I went, yeah, I got my blue coat job for Warner Holidays, and Back then, it was winers. What winer holidays? You've heard of? Have you heard of pontins? Yeah. Well, it was a kind of a pontins, if you like, okay. but it was renamed winer holidays. And there was blue coats and red coats. Now, there's been many a famous star has been a blue coat and red coat. You'll be familiar with Bradley Walsh mm. was a blue coat. Shane Ritchie was a red coat. Freddie Starr, he was a red coat. And who else was there? There's been quite a few stars, actually, mm-hmm. who's been a blue coat and red coats. So for me to be a blue coat, I was up with them, if you like, thinking, yeah, you know, this is me now on the road to my success. 
if you like. Yeah. Because I stuck with being a blue cop for three years, 27, and I became self-employed at 30-year-old, and I met the man who changed my life forever, and I'm still with him to this day. Mm-hmm. I got engaged at 30, still with him now, and he taught me the bits and pieces that I need. I could sing. Nobody's ever had to teach me that. I've taught that myself through my singing teacher, through my determination of wanting to sing, but could never, I could sing. I couldn't talk through a microphone like mm-hmm. I am now. Yeah. My first audition, I'll never forget it. They said to me, tell us a bit about yourself. And I put the microphone down and I says, and they said, oh no, pick the microphone up and talk through, through the microphone. I says, oh no, I said, I can't do that. I said, if you want me to be a blue coat, I said, I'll sing. I said, I'll sing you anything, you know, that you like. Yes, we know that, Judy, but you need to be able to talk through a microphone. Well, I said, by the time I get this job, right, I hadn't got the job. I said, by the time I get this job, I will have learned how to talk through a microphone. And they said, we don't doubt you for mm-hmm. a second. For so when I started being a blue coat, I could sing, but I had to learn how to perform. And my boyfriend then, who is my husband now, oh. taught me how to walk onto a stage. And when you finished a song, everybody would applaud if you were lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to go, thank you, thank you. You know, yeah. it looks stupid. Like bow your head yeah. kind of thing. And, and I turned my back on the audience and walked off. Mm. And I was so reprimanded for that. You never turn your back on an audience. You learn to curtsy and you walk backwards until you get to the wings and then you have a stage and that's you done. And I learned how to do that. Oh, Never turn your back yeah. on the audience. So it's just one of them things, isn't it? Like when you've not done something before, a new experience is yeah. always a bit like daunting or, yeah. or scary. But after you, you know how to do it a few times, it just comes naturally, doesn't it? Comes it comes naturally. Mm. But it came natural to me once I became self-employed. This trigger from being 27 to 30 to learn how to perform, because learning how to perform advanced my singing, because your performance helps your singing. Mm. Because to be a performer, to become an entertainer, is what I I was my next step. You can be a singer, but to be an entertainer is something quite different. Yeah, it's just the way you make people feel, isn't it? The experience, isn't it? Because you could be like, oh, yeah. Judy's a really good s- singer, but then you might forget about it. But then, you, like maybe in like a year's time, but if you're a really good performer, you might be thinking, "Oh, remember that Adam who was performing and he did that." Blah 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 blah. Yeah, it's just like memories. And you had to learn memorable. as a blue cop to bring an act on stage. Mm. It's not all about the singing. You have to learn to be an entertainer, right? And that's the part that I struggled with. You had to go onto a stage, right, as a hostess, because this is what you were as a blue cop, and you had to bring an act on, right? Now, these acts were professional acts. I was bringing the likes of, oh, let me think, who, who, who did I bring on at the time? Because we used to do big weekends. We used to do big star weekends, they were called. And there were people like Bob Monkhouse at the time. And there was people like, what is he called? You won't like this again. He was a Liverpool comedian. Oh, it's a Liverpool <laughs> podcast today. <laughs> it was a Liverpool That's comedian, Tom O'Connor. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. Big Liverpool comedian. <laughs> Ken Dodd, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> it's all right. Loads of my friends are Liverpool fans. It's fine. <laughs> right. So, so we had to bring people on like that. So it was kind of like, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage here at Warner Holidays, Lakeside Holiday Village, Mr. Tom O'Connor. Mm. And I had to learn how to do that. Yeah. And it was daunting because yeah. you get tongue tied and you had to learn to do it properly. Because nobody liked getting you getting the name wrong. Mm. That was one thing that you had to be precise about. Yeah. Nobody liked you getting the name wrong because they would say, "Do you mean it's Tom O'Connor?" You know, if I said Tom Tom Connor, you know, Tom O'Connor, the O was very precise. And this is how the entertainment business worked, mm. and I had to learn that. Cool. And how did things kind of progress from there then? What, what was kind of well, well, did you kind of have, have enough of that and you think it was your next step of your career? My next step of my career, I became self-employed at 30. My boyfriend then, we formed a duo. Hey, yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, we formed a duo on the holiday camps because my next step in them three years, I'd learned how to be a performer. So he said, and the blue coat job was always seasonal. So it had come to an end. So really meeting him was like a miracle if you like, because I got to stay on the holiday camp as his girlfriend. So they kept me on, but I performed with him now. The blue coat bit had gone by the by, and I, I was a duo with him, and we were called Midnight Express. Okay, that's cool. And so I performed with him. So performing with him taught me everything I needed to know, because he would do the main stuff, and then he'd say, Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you my girlfriend and fiancé, because we were engaged then, Judith Guest, which is who I was, Judith mm. Guest. And I would sing songs with him at first, songs that we'd learn together, would work together. And it gradually, people would say, oh, we, 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 we like you. He was called Alan then, because mm. you had to change your name. He was called Alan Ray. And they used to say, Alan, we like Judy, you know, can we hear a bit more with Judy with you? Mm. And it gradually got that we would perform together more. And on the holiday camps, Alan had to do the band's night off, right? Because everybody got a night off and you had to step up. So we then got to perform in the big concert room. Now you're talking about hundreds of people, big stage, the whole shebang. And I performed with him on the band's night off and we did a full night's entertainment together, which was what I learned then. I could now sing. I could bring people on. I could introduce a game because I learned how to do games because on the holiday camps, it was full on. You had to learn how to dance with the guests. You had to do games. You had to do shows. And from being 30 onwards, that's where our life took us. We performed at many holiday camps together. And then the next stage was working on the ships, etc. Yeah. Oh, cool. Did you enjoy the ships then? Yeah. 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 One of my friends, he's, the one I was talking about before, he's back from Marbella. He used yeah. to work on the ships and stuff. He mm-hmm. stopped in Cove. He, he, he loves it. Mm-hmm. And then we get us a quick selfie before I forget of us. I always forget, you see. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking. Nice. So yeah, the ships, what was the the ships like? Did you go with your fiancé at the time? Yes, I did. Uh, No, this was a big step up in our lives. I'd become an entertainer, okay? Mm. Because you had to be an entertainer 
to go on to your next stage of life because he got us the jobs, okay? And I went with him because I was like his plus one, yeah, if you like. But I got the job with him because we were a duo then. We changed our name off of the ship. We went as Lynx. Lynx? So some Midnight Express to Lynx. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the year 2001. All that time had gone when, and we went on the ships. It wasn't straight on the ships. We worked in, we worked in hotels. First Mm. of all, before we got the ships, we worked as a duo. We worked in Scotland. We worked in, we worked down south together on the holiday camps as a professional duo. Mm. But on the ship, on the ships came later. And this was our probably our first big job together because my fiance, Alan Ray, had just worked on his own. He had his own keyboards. He had his own PA system. So I worked with him and he got the jobs. And like I say, I worked with him. So we did the hotels. We did holiday camps. Before the ship, we worked in Copenhagen. Very cool. Now, this was the biggest, the worldwide biggest escort agency. Mm. It was called the Kakadu Bar, and it was where professional escorts did their business. Mm. Now, I was very, very naive, you know, because I'd never come across anything like this. So we worked for in Copenhagen for three months. We started work at half past 11 at night till half past three in the morning. And we watched these escorts doing what they did. Mm-hmm. Now, you have to be professional. He was playing the, the keyboards and it was all dim lights. Couldn't see anything. And you just had to sing. And I was like a fish in a goldfish box. I was like, because they were doing what they were doing in front of us. Yeah. That's mum so. And we weren't allowed to take any photographs. Oh, yeah, you wouldn't be, would you? It was so, you know. It's interesting characters. Yeah, there, and we like had to sign. For me, had to NDAs sign. and stuff. Yeah, we had to sign. Non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, non-disclosure. You know, I could talk about it now because it's so many years ago. Yeah. But I wasn't allowed to talk about it then. Yeah. And I, I had no photographs, so people didn't believe us. Yeah. You know, so the only photographs I've got we were allowed to take photographs in the, in the green room, if you like. So I have got photographs of a few people there and all our drinks were free, but we couldn't drink alcohol, but everything else was free. It was £10 to hang your coat up, which was a lot of money then. It's a lot of money now to hang your coat And these people were, you know, like I said, we were walking to their job one night and my husband used to drop me off at the door. This is how busy it was. And he was walking up to the job and this lady said to him, are you looking for business? And he said to her, if you knew how much I had in my pocket, you wouldn't be asking that question. Because he had a euro in his pocket because we were about to be paid. We we were skint, basically, until we got paid. And it was a hell of a lot of money then. I, I'd never experienced. We were paid more back then than you will ever be. Now, and uh, we were on a fortune and uh, we were getting paid the next day. So when he told me, well, that fits a laughter because you had to have a lot of money to entertain these people. Mm. So we just worked basically. We worked in this place. We, we used to go back to our digs, which were provided and that we were off at weekends. Now as a musician, you were never off at weekends. 
We so we did Monday to Friday because all the business people went home. So we didn't get arrested because we used to go to this pub, local pub, on a Saturday, you know, and they found out we were seniors. So we started working there mm. on a Saturday night and it was to the hilt. So we got paid for that as well. So we were, we just were jobbing musicians. Yeah. We were everywhere from job to job to job. Mm. It was the best years of my life. I can imagine. So when did you move back to the UK then? Right, we we worked in we worked in a place called Greenland. I have to mention Greenland because yeah. when we first went for the job, my husband got the job first. I couldn't go with him. This is the first time we'd been parted. So I was like, Oh my god, I'm never going to see him again because in them days it was like he you know, he was doing these jobs and today if you get a job on a cruise ship you think you're never going to see your boyfriend again or your fiance is going to go off with somebody else. And that's how I felt. I was devastated. You know, my mum, I'm it to my mum, I'm never going to see him again. She says, you will, you will. You know, she says, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So he could only ring me on certain times. And I begged him to get me the job with him. And I had to fund it myself because they paid for him to go. This was an exclusive job in Greenland. Even when I went to the travel agents, they said, where? Mm -hmm. They'd never heard of it. Okay. So to get this job, it was like, you know, I phoned these places up and they used to say to me, are you traveling alone? And I'd say to my mum, they want to know if I'm traveling on my own mum. And she'd put the phone down, put the phone down. It was scary. It was really mm-hmm. scary. Anyway, eventually he did get me on the, on the job with him. I had to find my own money and I had to travel on three planes on my own to get to him. And I was off the edge of, how old would I be? I was, we were in K at 30. I don't think I was 35, maybe round, round about 33, 35. And I traveled there on my own. And honestly, if the times, like I said, were a lot different then. And I got to where I wanted to be because I asked people, excuse me, I need to be here. I need to be there. And I had to travel on three separate planes on my own to get to him. And Greenland was minus 30 degrees. It was freezing. There was only four hours of daylight. So you could only go out for an hour a day. It was freezing. And we had to buy these big travel suits. Do you remember like astronauts? Yeah. And they had this padded suit on. Well, we had to go out like that. And you had to wear a headband because you were literally the snot in your nose. Literally freeze. freeze. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was no roads. And so we worked in this five-star hotel. It had a revolving top floor. Was the best job in the world, right? And we 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 lived there. And you know, you're looking through my window now. Mm. This said this was like the top floor, and it rotated, and we looked all out, and it was like a Christmas card. It was just white snow. But the Greenlanders were they weren't up to date with me or you, if you like. They had no knowledge of the Danes kept them. And you know the door system you've heard of the door system? Mm. Well that was them. They lived off the Danes and the Greenlanders, they made a living from getting drunk and making pieces of wood. And you know when you go to Spain now and people come with, with lucky lucky? Mm. That was back then. And you had to just sit there and not acknowledge them because if you acknowledge them, it meant basically that you wanted to go and sleep with them. Person, was it? I was very smiley, so I had to watch. <laughs> it was 
Yeah. Oh, it was. He's having trouble that way. Yeah. So it was totally out there, you know. So the we did that first in Greenland. I got to work there, and basically they loved us both. It was our dream job. We worked there again for three months because we had agents then, and it was all like three month contracts because we'd work we'd work the winter, then you'd go and do a, a summer job, and that's how your life was. So these winter jobs took us anywhere and everywhere. So we just went. They loved us that much in Greenland that they paid for my travel home because it was that expensive. They said, you, you've done a, a really good job for us. They said they'd never met anybody like us. We were there for Christmas cut off from our families. Yeah. And Christmas Eve was the big Christmas day there. You work Christmas Eve, you're off Christmas Day. And the one thing we had to look forward to Christmas Day was getting a phone call from our families. Mm-hmm. And that's how different it was. And from there, you could say that that was us mainly in the big time. And from there, we got a job on the ship. Yeah. We we started off on a very small ship. And then as things progress, sometimes it never pays to go big. But we went big. And we went from a two, sorry, a two-size ship to, what's that word I'm looking for? Two. Stories. Yeah. Right. And then we went on a big 12 deck. That was it. Oh, two deck. deck. Yeah. Yeah, two decks was the first one. Then we went to a big 12 deck. So you can imagine Massive what win. it was like. It was a big, big change. We worked on there for six months. Mm. You couldn't associate with the guests. You had strict rules. We had to follow a strict dress code. And we were self-employed musicians. So this didn't go down too well. Because we weren't staff. We weren't crew. We were self-employed musicians. We didn't finish work well late at night, so obviously we wanted a drink. We found this bar in this big 12-deck ship, and then as soon as we found it, there were curfew, you know, there's a curfew now, and we said, we've only just finished work. We don't work to a curfew. We're wanting a drink, so we had to speak to somebody in charge that said, yes, let them have a drink. They've just finished work. So there was a, too many rules and regulations for me and Al on this cruise ship. So we stayed on for about six months. Then when we left, that was when our life changed again, if you like, mm. because life itself was changing. Yeah. Let's talk about that then. What was the, what happened after that? Uh, this was 2002. We came off the ships. We'd been on them six months and then we spent six months gigging about. And then a time came then when we had to get proper jobs. We got a house then in Carlisle. We got, we got married in. 1999, yeah. I remember it well. And that's when me and Al got a secure job yes. in a hotel in Scotland. Yeah. From the ship, we were, we were jobbing actors, etc., And then we decided to get a proper jobs. So we went back under the title of Midnight Express. We got secure jobs, hotels. We worked in Scotland for six years. We were top of the tree in the duos and we did. We did games, we did competitions, we got regular people coming back to see us. And we got married, actually, up in Scotland, but we couldn't get married in Scotland. I had to get come back into Oldham to get married. But we got back, we got back, so we got married in 1999, then became the year 2000. Mm. And we were married then, and we did the millennium. Oh, cool. We did the millennium in Scotland, and we were on a roll then. Our life was a continuous, we used to go on holiday. We got married in January. You used to go on holiday in January. We used to start work in February. You'd do the full year. Then you'd get January off again. 
and then back February. That continued for six years. Yeah, nice. So then, let's let's talk about then up until the last five years or so. What what kind of happened until until we got to like where we are present right. day where kind we of thing. are today. Yeah. This I've talked mostly about our working career because yeah. it's where I grew up. It's where things were good, mm. and I, I think now that if you do work for yourself for a living, it is probably one of the best things that you will ever achieve. Yeah. Because you are your own boss. It's hard when, though. It I is think hard. Pe- I think people think it's easy though. It's not. Wrong. It's really yeah, hard. Yeah. We grafted for 15 years in total. We didn't see our families apart from when they could come on holiday. Mm-hmm. You were totally work, work, work. Now work only works if you don't get ill. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was at this stage into my, going into my forties. Life changed to me for me when I was into my forties. And this brings me to where we are today, really, because mm. this podcast is all about really how I started my life, how I've gone through my life and how I've turned my life around. But before I can get to that, it's where my life spiraled. This is where we go on to where your business life comes into it, where you're, you make your mistakes in, in business mm. because your health interferes with business. Now, as many people will know today, health, ill health and business do not work together. Because when you're self-employed, you have to work and work. There is no getting ill because there's nobody in entertainment to take your place because you are that person. You have built your life up to, it's a case of like, can you work tomorrow? Yeah. Can you work tonight? Yeah. And you go in your, in your day, you have certain hours off where you sleep, then you work, then you sleep again, and then you go back to work. Everything goes well until ill health comes. Now, I've been very fortunate in life. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I don't know whether I should say fortunate or not, because would I have loved to have children? Yes, I would, looking back, but I didn't have them. So it wasn't a case of like, I couldn't dwell on that because I chose my career. I went with my career. So children didn't actually come my way. So maybe that was like telling me they weren't, it wasn't meant to be. I didn't have children because I couldn't have them. It just didn't happen. Okay. So I was very fortunate to not have children as a setback. You know, when people have have children, it's kind of like, oh, well, this is where you're not going to be able to do your job, are you? Because you've got children. Mm -hmm. That never happened to me. I continued on working. So if I can say to you, did I escape ill health? No, I definitely did not. But I've never, ever been tested like I was going to be tested now. When I turned 40, it was the best years of my life. I had two parties. I had one in in Carlisle because we were living in Carlisle then. And I had one in Oldham with my family. And it was superb. But then, and, and this was in our time off. And then we were back on the, on the road, if you like, because I always wanted to celebrate my birthday. So going from 40 to 45 was fine. And then when I turned 45, my body started to catch up with me. I couldn't hold on to burning the candle at both ends because I worked hard and played hard. Now, when you work self-employed, 
you have your good times and, and you go out for a drink. And did drinking be, become a problem for me? Never became a problem, but it was always there. I, I drank to sort of like fuel my engine because I didn't have to drive. Sure. So what drove, what drove me was drinking mm. and I drank wine. I was little old wine drinker me, you know, but it never was a problem. Because yeah. you never had to drive. You just had to be at work on time. There was lots of people involved in my life then who drank. They couldn't, they couldn't hold the drink. So therefore, there was a lot of people who got sacked, basically, uh-uh. you know, for not, for turning up drunk. I don't know what it was about me, but I was a sociable drinker. Uh-uh. I drank to be able to perform. Uh-uh. I drank because it gave me confidence and basically never was a problem for me but was it a problem for my body yes it was yeah because say the end of august it'll be three years since i stopped drinking alcohol yeah and i just made that decision for me personally because like you say it was never a problem but i'd go out like every weekend and be hung over and when you're self-employed like you say nobody else is doing the work for you and i was making no progress and at the start of business again in 2020 and then i was only gonna do three months and then yeah just end of august it was bank holiday 2020 I had my last drink and then, yeah, I never looked back. People always say to me, will you ever drink again? And I say, never say never, but I just don't see the benefit for me personally. There's nothing against people drinking if you're having a good time, like all my friends drinking stuff, but just a personal preference, like a small sacrifice. And I thought, yeah, it will hold me back with confidence if you go on a night's out and stuff, you don't drink, you know, talking to girls and that, but actually makes you more confident yeah. and more self-confident. And I think I make better decisions now and I'm more focused and driven. And then, yeah, I just, I can just form better as a whole, really. Yeah. I get that, Adam, because, but at that, at the time, right, when I was drinking, when I became ill, mm-hmm. right, which was leading up to this menopause that has, that totally took up my life because I was a drinker. When I got ill, I couldn't drink anymore. No. What the, because of the alcohol that I had taken over the years, it's my menopause started with palpitations. Now, this can be a big start of some people's menopause, but I put it down to mine because, because I drank, I was flushes at night. It always came at night sweating because I, I drank a lot because I was in my thirties. Sorry. Yeah. No, sorry. I was in my forties and I was in my early forties. No kids. No responsibilities, only turning up for work and being good at your job. I've mastered that. I had put that face on that could do that, okay? But my body was telling me this can't continue, okay? So when I turned, when I turned 45, I, I started having these palpitations and my body wasn't keeping up with this workload that I had. And the workload that I had then, was I'd been working at Gretna Hall Hotel. I worked there with my husband for five years. Then I continued for another five years. And these palpitations had started to affect me, but they never affected my work. Okay. So this would be, like I said, from 45 onwards. Oh. I was home then. We were living here in Carlisle. I passed my driving test. Nothing affected my work and as long as nothing affected my work there wasn't a problem because I could work anyway something happened at work at Gretna 
and it was a disaster actually. They'd become into liquidation and we had to stop work and that is when everything stopped because me and my husband had, sorry, yeah, me and my husband then, no, no, mm-hmm. we had, we, we worked together and we had one wage. Yeah, so we were married and we had one wage and it suddenly stopped from us earning money. We were back to the beginning where we were skinned again because this job of ours had gone into liquidation. So he said, he said, we aren't going to be able to manage because we had a house to, to run then and he'd been married before and he had children, etc. So we knew we couldn't manage. So he said to me, he says, I'm going to have to find my own business. So bless him. He went out and bought a minibus and started his own business. So I had to continue on my own. Now, I could sing, but I'd lost the confidence to do what I did being a blue coat of hosting again, because he'd done it all. When we worked together as a duo, he would do the, the hosting. I would do the singing. I would dance with the guests. And basically, I wouldn't have any responsibility. So when he said, I'm going to have to start my own business, you're going to have to do it on your own. It was like a big wake up call for me. I was, I said to them, I can do this job on my own. So I, they said, as long as you can do the job, right, which is all they were bothered about, we'll keep you on. So at home, it was kind of like I was learning what he'd done. I was back doing the games. I was back putting a show on. I was on my own. So this put extra pressure on myself because when we were early, both of us, if we got a cold or a cough, one of you could always perform and the other one didn't have to do as much. So added pressure, added age. I was 45 upwards and I started to get ill. Now, when you start to get ill on your own, it's a big worry. It's a big, it's, it's a big worry because you can't turn up for work. And if you can't turn up for work, you can't do your job and there's nobody else to cover you. Mm. There never has been in entertainment. Maybe it's a lot better now, but I'm sure if you looked into entertainment, if you are that person who's worked to the place for a long time, they rely on you, you know, and if you're good at what you did, which, yeah, I can hold my hand up and say I was, they, they give you a month's work and then you do that one, then they give you another month's work and you would be there. You would be working out. It was kind of like you had a theme. Like in January, we'd do a winter theme. In in spring, we'd do a spring theme, summer theme. And it was all related on that because you had to keep coming up with different ideas because guests kept coming, you know. And slowly, I was fading. But I didn't know I was fading because I, I just didn't know what was happening to me. These palpitations became worse. I had to go and see the doctor. And believe you me, I'd never been to see a doctor, really, because we were away for so many years. So when I got back into Carlisle registering again with a doctor, I went one day and uh, she says, can I help you? This was a lady doctor at the time. Mm. And I said, I can't focus. I said, my focus is all wrong. I said, my balance. I said, I, I said, it's affecting my driving. I said, I don't know who I am. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. And she's, oh my God, Judy, she says, that's not like you, you know? So anyway, I found out that I was premenopausal and this was a disaster for me because it affected the way I'd run my life. Okay. I'd never experienced my body telling me what to do was always the other way around. But my body 
started to interfere with my work. And I've never experienced that before and it became quite frightening. I got through Gretna, through the skin of my teeth. And then I started to work in 2010 at a place called Shotwell's Hotel. Again, I ended up working there 10 years because all my jobs were long standing because I just never faltered. I just always did the work until, like I say, my body decided it had had enough. Mm. It had had enough of being mistreating it. It had enough of me not feeding it as well as I, I should, drinking. But the saviour to me for, for the drinking was when I started to drive to work because then I couldn't drink. So I started working being sober, which is funny enough to say, don't get me wrong, I was never working drunk, but I had to drink in me. And I learned how to work being sober, and it was good, mm-hmm. you know, because I could do the same. I could laugh, and I could, everybody else would have a few drinks, because it was wedding work, it was club work, it was hotel work, and I was sober. And I quite liked it, because I could remember <laughs> what went on, you know. And there was a lot went on, believe you me, in, in them early days. And then when I was, when I become ill, which is what we should talk about really, I became ill and premenopausal when I was about 46, 47. And it started to interfere with my life. Like I said, I couldn't focus. My balance was a bit skew if I become dizzy. And I thought to myself, what am I going to do about driving to my job? Anyway, I've been working at Shotwell since 2010. And when I went to my doctor, she said, we think that you're going through the menopause. We're going to put you on HRT. Now, when I was on HRT from being 48, it was a lifesaver. I got my life back. And not everybody, it doesn't suit everybody. I understand that. But it suited me. It could let me do my job again. And I became normal. And it was only within a month that it worked for me. I have a friend now. It's not working for her, and I feel really sorry for her. But with me, it did work, and I got to be able to be myself again. So I was on HRT. So I think I've been on HRT about two years, maybe, no, yeah, maybe about a year, maybe, to 18 months. And I had to be to go on beta blockers because this heart rate thing of mine that I had, which was only discovered when I was going through menopause, I'd been born with an extra piece of wiring to my heart. Now, unbeknown to me, I'd never known about it. And it's called an SVT. It means that when I was born, which was a long time ago from 48-year-old, I was born with an extra piece of wiring to my heart and it had caused palpitations. Now, I thought the palpitations and the menopause, which they were, were together, but I'd become to have extra beats in my heart. Now, this was the frightening thing. I was singing at Shatwell's on August the 31st, 2018. And this palpitation started at work. It had never affected me at work before. And I'm singing to maybe, what, let's see, about 100 people perhaps. Mm. And I'm stood at the window and they're all looking at me. And all I could hear in my brain was laughter. And I felt as though they were laughing at me. And this laughter got louder. My heart rate got faster. And it came from my feet all the way up. And I'm like, in my brain, and I'm still singing, what's happening? What am I going to do? And I I never had a toilet break 
me in, in, in my life. I used to go to the toilet before I started work because I, I sang for three hours. And when I'd finished, because I didn't have much to drink, I just drank water, basically. Mm. And I wasn't really drinking at this time. Which, yeah, Adam, I agree with you. I felt better that way, but not what I was going through, okay? Because I couldn't drink with this SVT. You weren't allowed to have mm. alcohol. Anyway, so the SVTs got, got more often. They got faster with the heart rate. So I started spending my time at A&E. Now, the first time I started going to A&E was when I came back, when I came back from, from work. Yeah, I'd been singing and performing. I got through it and I came home and it started again. So I used to come home about midnight and my husband was asleep and I never told him about this heart thing and I had to phone 999 and I had to go to A&E and I never told him. I went on my own and at first, they used to jolt my head between my feet and it used to bring my heart rate back to where it should be. Now that worked for a time and afterwards it, it, it didn't work, it didn't work at all because I was going to A&E, I had them on speed dial and then I had to tell my husband, then I had to tell work and it got to a stage where I said, August 31st, I was singing away, it became too much. I left all my equipment, I just switched it off, I said to everybody, excuse me, I need to go to the toilet. And that was the last night I worked at Shotwell's Hotel. 31st of August, they had to phone an ambulance, 2018, I got taken in, into the ambulance and that was it. <laughs> I couldn't work again after that. I lost my job, I lost my life, I lost my personality. And my bit, the big thing I'd learned over the years was I had a fantastic personality. Everybody told me I had, and it's what everybody realized about me. You know, everybody who heard me sing was fascinated by how I could lure them in with my personality, with my voice. And they said, once we heard you, we had to sit down and listen to you. And to have that taken away from me and to experience this hair loss this loss of personality, weight loss in such a small, significant time. It was the most frightening thing I will ever have to go through. So at first I couldn't get any help. By this time I'd been taken off. I know I was kept on HRT, but I was taken off beta blockers. The heart took over my whole life because nobody had told me what I should drink, what I should eat. And I was eating all the wrong things because when you've got this, you're supposed to Go on decaffeinated coffee, decaffeinated tea, no chocolate, no alcohol, which was lucky because I wasn't having any of that. But I was eating all the wrong things and drinking all the wrong things. And then when I was continually going to the doctor, she said to me, I've nobody told you what you should and shouldn't eat and drink. I says, no. She said, well, start going on decaffeinated things and don't have any chocolate. Well, this was so far into my illness. It was about, it's from a too late, you know. Anyway, so approaching 48, going through the menopause, having this terrific SVT, I went, I eventually went to see a specialist and it took a hell of a long time to get me to see this specialist. Oh, because you have to wait and the waiting and the persevering is horrendous. So I was on my knees when I went to see the specialist and I was crying my eyes out. And he says to me, oh my God, he said, I've never seen anything like this, you know. And he said, 
and I told him everything. And he drew me a picture of what was going on in my body. And he said, you've got an extra piece of wiring going to your heart. He said, which is causing these SVTs. And he says, and that can't carry on. He said, he gave me options. He said, you can either carry on like this for the rest of your life, carry on with medication, which was killing me, and or having a, a procedure. And I looked at him and I said, what is a procedure? And it's called an ablation. Mm-hmm. Now, this ablation did not happen overnight. From being 48 to going through going through my 50s now, I was in my 50s. And when I had my 50th birthday, I don't know how I got through it because it just, I was drinking alcohol. Who doesn't want to drink at 50? Big five or, and I couldn't drink. So anyway, it would be 55, five years I went with before, and like I say, before I got this procedure, I went through the SBTs, but I was on antidepressants by this time. They put me on antidepressants in my early 50s. I was on sleeping tablets. I wasn't the person that anybody recognised. People walked across the road so that they didn't have to see me. I'd got all rashes on my face. I'd lost my hair and I'd lost my life. And my will to sing was not there. It's five years ago then that my my niece, she had a first child and I never acknowledged that child. I never congratulated her. And she's five now that today, which is very significant because when she was fat, when she was born, I, I never congratulated her. I never sent her anything. And, and my sister said to me at the time, she did so unlike you, but I had a personality block. I had no emotion and I had no personality. I was a blank page. Law. And they, they said they'd never seen anything like it. And so I nearly, I was at the end of the tether, and I nearly took my life in between 2018, beginning of 2019, because my husband couldn't cope with me. We separated and I had nothing to look forward to. I'd lost my job. I'd lost my life and I had nothing, I had nothing to look forward to. And it was between, have you ever heard of a period between Christmas and New Year? They call it Twixmas. Mm-hmm. Well, I used to be really busy then. I had no work. I had no career. I hadn't wrote a Christmas card and Christmas was very special to me as I dressed up all the time in Santa fit. I would be doing my Santa bit. And I was in bed, eight stone, pathetic. And I was, if it hadn't been for this Dr. Fisher, who I have talked about, she said, once I told her what I'd done with my life, she said, there's no way that you're going to end your life today. She's because she says, I cannot have anybody like you. She said, I can't see you. She said, but I can tell from what you've told me. She said, it's not your time. She says, to end your life. And she saved my life. She talked me down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really now want to talk about, I want to bring this life of mine from getting the oblation, from getting my life back on track. I really would like to talk about how I did that. Okay, then well, we're just going to, I'm just going to continue on this path now because I just want to let everybody know that uh, people who do know me and, and who know me well, they know that I am to any children. And as I have said, yeah, I do regret not have had, not have had any children because children love me and I've always looked like that, but it's because I've got patience. And a lot of people now, they love me for that because they say you've got time for children because you don't live with them day to day. 
And in fact, this afternoon, I'm working with children now, and I do, and I think they're, I think they're great, you know, and I think they're essential to life. But as a child, I had the amazing children, and I did want children, but it didn't come to me. But I want you to understand that when I, when I started to get better, I don't want to dwell on the past now. I want to dwell on how I got better. I think I, I would like to say that I was a kind person, but I'm a kinder now. I'm a more understanding now. By God, I am. I really, really am. It's taught me such a lot. I never understood about medication. I never understood about the menopause because when I asked my mum about it, she just blew through it, you know. But whereas for me, I struggled really, really hard. And I'm 60 year old now as I'm doing this podcast today. And it's took me more or less the best part of 10 years. But this is what I want to tell you now about you're never too old to learn anything. I am the most positive person now than I think I've ever been because I've come through such an ordeal. It's now five years on at the end of this month, 2023. And I want to tell you what I've done in that time. When I can tell you that in 2019, I went back to work. I only got four months back in work. And then in 2020, as we all know, the lockdown came. Did I go back down in the lockdown? No, I didn't. Something happened to me in that lockdown that said, this is your time now, Judy. I found myself again in 2020. And I used that time to write my first book. If I can tell you, coming through what what I did, okay, it's given me such a positive outlook on life. I now want to help people who've, who've suffered like I did. I don't want anybody to have suffered what I did because there's no need for it, because I was given the wrong information. I was given the wrong medication. So what did I decide to do? Well, here it is. This is called My Doors of Destiny. This is my book. This is my autobiography. I did this in 2020. It's about me. It's about my husband. Because when all said and done, we did split up, but we got back together. And we've been together. We're going to be celebrating 25 years of marriage in January of next year. And I think that's something to celebrate. This autobiography of mine is about more or less what I've told you in this podcast. But it's not as long, obviously, but. (laughs) <laughs> it's about how I fought to be a singer, how I, I really did come through people saying, come and meet me by yourself. Because back then it's, the world's not changed much. You have to be careful about who you go and meet, who you go and speak to. But doing this book, it's about, it's a quirky side of Judith Guest, who then mm. got, who came, became Judith Cook. Mm. Because it's about my doors of destiny. And why is it that title? because a lot of doors were shut in my face. But the ones that stayed open, I pushed hard to get through them. Mm-hmm. And it is a real joyful book as well, because people that know me understand what I mean by cleaning, doing cleaning jobs for a living. You know, I was a head cleaner dentist, and believe you me, me and teeth, I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> my mum's like that, yeah. Yeah, and, and I've cleaned and I've, I've oh, Oh, I don't know what I have clean toilets and things like that. I am not against working hard Mm. if there is a positive outcome at the end of it. Mm. And this book to me is the first book. And I I really want to have done this podcast because I want people 
to read my doors of destiny yeah because two years after that which i've grown in confidence yeah because found kindness was my healer because yeah. if, if you're listening on like apple or spotify or any audio only it's really cool like animation like funky yeah, cover isn't it yeah. like, nice and colorful like 200 odd pages isn't mm. it and then say on the the last page mm. that i thought was quite cool yeah you never know where my destiny will take me next but you can be sure you the reader will be the first to know i kid you not so yeah there's, there's lots of cool photos in here as well to make yeah. to take people on the journey and stuff yeah. so yeah it looks pretty funky so you should definitely go and We'll, we'll, we'll probably clip it and people will be able to see it on social media and stuff. But yeah, that's nice. So then you lead on to the second book then. I am because in that locked, after lockdown, life has totally changed for everybody. I understand that. Mm-hmm. And I used to get work singing really, really easy. And I find it so hard now. I had to, I had to start from the beginning because I sang in, I sang for everything, weddings, functions, parties, Hindus, the lot. And now I find myself restricted to different things because people are just starting to open up now. I've just had the best birthday of my life, 60-year-old. I did it myself. I did an ABBA tribute because I've grown up with ABBA. I had the ABBA outfit on. I will get that posted on so you can see my party because that is a positive spin on everything. We did play your cards right. I've always wanted to be a dolly dealer. And yes, I was a dolly dealer. (laughs) And from then onwards, like I said, I'm doing things now. I'm pushing the boundaries, even though I'm 60-year-old. So that was my first book, which did really well, actually. It was it was featured in bookends, and you can actually get it on my website. Two years on, I didn't know whether I was going to do another book, but remember, he just Adam just said, I did say you will be the first to know. <laughs> and yes, you were the first to know, because I found kindness, which led me on to two years doing the gift of human kindness. Why did I do the book, The Gift of Human Kindness? Because I was healed by kindness. Kindness is my saviour. We all have kindness inside us, but it's how we use it. One of my first stories was I saved a lady called Grace. And that's a true story. I saved her from being mugged down the town. And I just took her to one side, basically. There was no threat to me. But she had a bag open in the middle of the town. And I helped her. And and that's what thought, I thought, yeah, I can make a book out of uh, why we should be kind. And so that one. yeah, a little old lady called Grace. Then I went on to tell you about Mr. Hope and Miss Glory. They were my teachers, Hope and Glory. How weird is that? Mm. And then cruel to be kind. Why is that saying prominent? You have to be cruel to be kind. I'd rather speak as you find. That is one of the chapters of mine. Nature is kindness. I found nature now. People will laugh at this, but when people offered to buy me flowers, I didn't want any flowers. I didn't like flowers because they died. But now I love flowers and I got loads for my 60th. Yeah. Thank you for that. And then at the end of the book, if you go to the, the very end, very end, if you read that, kindness and myself are all very good friends. I have always tried to be kind during my eventful career. But I think now, finding kindness, the gift of human kindness, please be kind to your animals, to your friends, to your parents. And Adam said to me, what is the one thing that I've regretted? And it's not listening to my parents more. I wish I'd listened to them more. Yeah, I could probably vouch for that as well, to be fair. 
It's one of them things, isn't it? Like, they just want the best for you, don't they? No mm-hmm. matter what. And it's just, yeah, you just think you know it all. And when you get a bit older, you, you kind of realize, don't you? But yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, it's important. Like I was even speaking to my friend yesterday and speaking to his mum and she was saying about like his girlfriend and stuff, like saying, Oh, well, I didn't really, wasn't a massive fan of her, but I didn't want to say anything and interfere and that. And it's just like, especially mum's, mum's always know everything, don't yeah. <laughs> You know, my dad was the singer in my family mm. and he was the one that said you need to get a proper job. Mm. And yet he was the singer. That's where yeah. I get it from. <laughs> but my mum, she was like, you've got to go for it. A mm. job will not come to you. Yeah. But she always taught me, this is what we were saying in the podcast, always look presentable. Mm. Always look yeah, my as though says you that. mean that mm. you want to progress, you want to be successful. Let's just round it up now and where people can find you. Yeah, yeah. It's like social media links, websites, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, just go for it. Plug, um, plug, plug. Yeah. I'd like to say thank you to the people who helped me. You all know who you are. Special mention to Carol Holiday. She was the only lady that basically listened to my text and picked me up off the floor. Familiar faces, my, my one-to-ones with them. Gateway for women, they showed me that I can. There is a, a life for me. There is a space for me in life. All my friends for in Cumbria, for the News and Star. Also, my husband, haven't to forget him. Alistair <laughs> Cook, thank you so much. And generally, to all the people who have helped me, because without without you, I couldn't have, have got to where I am today. That includes my family and my friends. You should never, ever forget your friends because they will stick with you till till the bitter end if you find the right friend. Definitely. So where, where can people follow you? Like social media, website links, all that kind of stuff? Uh, if you want to follow me, please, you can follow me on www.mydoysofdestiny.com. Nice. Cool. Right, everybody. Make sure to subscribe, hit the subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube, like the video, comment your favourite part. If you've got any questions for Judy, leave them in the comment section below. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple, make sure to follow the podcast and leave a five-star review, and we'll see you next time. Bye, 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 bye.